Guatemalensians, welcome back to What's Up, the Habitat Guatemala podcast. I'm happy to be with you guys again. As always, I'm Alex P. Last week, we were talking about hybrid houses with the International Resource Development Crew. We were all very excited about it. And this week, we're still going to be talking about hybrid houses, but with a very, very special guest, Mr. Clive Rainey in the Habitat world. He is well known. And he lived here in Guatemala for a long time. He played an integral part in hybrid houses. So his perspective, I think, would be very enlightening to, to share with you guys. So without further ado, uh, we'll get into the interview. I had a chance to speak to him over Zoom, so let's hope that the sound quality doesn't go too bad. But without further ado, here's my little chat with Clive. Hello, Clive. Let me know when you can hear me. Hey, Alex. Hey, hey. Alex. <laughs> How are you? I'm doing all right. Having my morning coffee here. Good. Well, I'm ready to go. <laughs> All right. So now, you know, give you your introduction, which in I feel like the habitat world, you really don't need introduction, but obviously, you know, first international volunteer, you've been with habitat since the Conania days or all over the world. And more important for us, to my luck, that you actually, you know, you lived in Guatemala for, for many years and we're obviously involved in Habitat Guatemala and have a very firsthand knowledge of the needs and, and what Guatemala is like. And you were you know, a big early proponent of the extreme poverty program, which we mentioned in the podcast about healthy home kits, water filters and all that. And then right. now things have continued to change. You became one of the big early drivers in the hybrid house program. And I wonder if you could you know, speak to how you saw that need growing and, and, and really the process of what brought you to, to be a big advocate for, for hybrid homes here in Guatemala. Okay. Well, as things changed in Guatemala, as prices went up, and, and interestingly enough, Habitat houses may have driven a lot of those prices because Habitat has been a very successful builder of concrete block houses using a lot of uh, reinforcing steel and such. And so just the created demand may have caused prices of things to go up aside from normal economics. But the houses were finally reaching a point where no one who was truly poor could look to Habitat for assistance. With that, we began the healthy house kit so that we could address people where they were living and give them a, a decent stove to use in their homes, eliminating the smoke and many of the problems that came with that. We, and make it a more effective stove, more efficient. We also did a latrine for people so that they had a, a proper way to eliminate their human waste and uh, not spread disease through that. Everything from um, upset stomachs to polio is included in that list of things that can happen if you don't have proper waste disposal. And we also provided a water filter. But more and more, the need grew to help people have a decent place to live simply because the shelters they were living in were hardly fit to be called shelters. So we began to look at another plan and some other groups had started to build simple houses that were blocks about halfway up and then wood the rest of the way. And to my great joy, the Habitat uh, engineer staff designed a house for Habitat that would have a 
fit foundation and that we could build up properly. I love it. I've been able to participate in the building of these houses, and I know they're both simple and complicated at the same time. But the joy of it is that it's, it's affordable, and affordability is times two I've got it. One for the donor, because many donors would be willing to give enough money to build a habitat house, which is about $3,300 of this level. A kid with a lemonade stand could raise that. Right. Teenagers with a car, with a car wash could raise that. You know, a, a normal, ordinary working adult could imagine giving that kind of money each year to build a house. So it's affordable not only to the donors, but it's affordable to Habitat. Since these are, hybrid houses are subsidized, which, you know, when we think of the traditional Habitat homes, the concrete homes, that it's a loan and you know uh, the message of Habitat is always a hand up and not a hand out. Like you had mentioned, you know, to reach that really true level of extreme poverty, you know, I know this is a problem in the States and a lot of other countries that as time has gone on, there's more regulations and people are, you know, Habitat concrete houses, you know, we always say, you know, they're built to California earthquake standards. I mean, the hybrid houses are earthquake safe as well but you kind of, you know, price go up, you know, they wouldn't be able to get that hand up just because how much things have changed. And so that the hybrid house is, you know, right there. And for Habitat Guatemala, since it's not a loan, since it's subsidized, you know, a lot of that ha Habitat Guatemala has to think of how can we build a safe, affordable home that is not going to drain Habitat's resources to, you know, continue building other things to continue the other aspects of the extreme poverty program. And that's one of, you know, those drivers that it's not just for the, the families that, but for the organization, it does have to be uh, a sustainable program. You know what I mean? Right. Well, I, I bring a historic perspective to it, obviously, for all my years here. I am considered the person who brought the name Sweat Equity to Habitat. And we didn't create it. I didn't make it up. It was an existing thing. But I brought it to Habitat, and there are books that have been published around the world that say Habitat for Humanity made the phrase famous and, and a household word. But um, sweat equity is what the uh, homeowners give, as well as the volunteers who come to build. But here's a story for you that tells you where we started. We started with, you know, at Koinonia Farm. And in those days, we spoke of the economics of Jesus or biblical economics. And those were things that didn't just count money, didn't just count change, didn't even just count sweat equity, but they counted what we call yeast and light. And so when I talk about yeast, I'll tell you a story that uh, a couple of years ago, well, several years ago now, we had a couple come to our one of our Jimmy Carter weekends, Jimmy and Rosalind Carter weekends, and they came as uh, major donor prospects. They came to us because their daughter had gone on a global village trip. This couple had never given a single red cent to Habitat for Humanity. But their daughter, after having been on a global village trip, and for all I know, she came to Guatemala. I don't know, and I'm not allowed to share her name, so we can't find that out. But um, her parents came to this weekend. 
I was on the bus as normal and told stories about Habitat and its history and, and homeowners and their wonderful successes. They sat with President Carter at the, at the lunch that we had that day. At the end of that day, they came up to Jonathan Reckford, the CEO of Habitat, and said, put us down for $1 million. Oh, wow. Because of what we have heard here today, where did that start? That started from a daughter who came to Guatemala or wherever it was that she went and got her hands dirty, working with the poor and wanted her parents to hear about it. And she knew their capability and they shared it. Now, that's a nice story. It gets even nicer. Ever since they were here for that weekend, every single year, they give Habitat for Humanity a million dollars as a matching gift in order to raise another million dollars. Now, that is yeast. That is how this works. Right. And when we, when we give people an, an incredible experience, they go home, they don't stop talking about it, and we never know who's going to turn around. I, I do happen to know some donors who have a very large gift for Guatemala in their will. And we have to begin to see beyond the immediate turnaround and to the future turnaround, which will be greater than we can ever imagine. Right. And, you know, you've lived here, you, you know, you know, the reality of Guatemala, as much as we want to say things are, are trending in the right direction, the reality is that's not the case. That was the case. You wouldn't have all these people heading for the States. You know, there's other factors in that, but here, as much as we want to say everything is getting better, the reality has not changed. And if anything, there's more people falling into this type of poverty where you mentioned with the original extreme poverty program of healthy home kits that addressed a lot of physical, basic needs of people that cause sickness and, you know, limit the folks ability to work. And it did make lives better. But, you know, when we look at that in our, our hearts of that mission of everybody does, deserves a safe and secure home, when you see the homes that the truly impoverished in Guatemala are living in that are made out of found materials, whether that be, you know, plastic sheets or lamina, like the, the metal stuff, whatever they can find. And that's, you know, only if they're lucky to be in an area where that, you know, they can even find that because there's a lot of people who live in the, the hot areas of the country by the sugarcane that have homes made out of entirely sugarcane, dried sugarcane stalks that can't, yes. that don't, yeah. you know. Or corn stalks. Yeah, and corn stalks everywhere. And then uh, we had mentioned too that one thing that everybody traditionally builds with who, you know, those who have really no resources is Adobe. But when it's built by families who don't know about structure, keeping things safe, if there's the slightest little tremor, that whole house comes down. We live in a country of volcanoes. We're on the side of a giant fault. So there's just so many people who are trying to make a shelter for their family, the most basic need who, who can't do that. And say a hybrid home, it's half concrete and it goes up in a week, maybe two weeks tops, the cement floor. All of a sudden you have a place where even in the hot areas of the country, because the roofs are high, it's cool. They can be inside during the day in the cold areas of the country. 
there's a smokeless stove so they can still cook inside. They don't have to be outside of the elements. And it goes back to that, that very original thing of, of folks building homes for themselves, just the families and that Mason who build their home in like uh, a span of a couple of weeks and all of a sudden their lives are, are drastically changed. It goes up breathtakingly fast. I mean, you know, it, it's delightful a team because you can almost get one finished in a week or if happily the, the foundation is in, you can get one finished in a week, but it's, um, it's breathtaking for the families to move that fast from what they were in into the new home. But, you know, and when you were talking about people leaving Guatemala, all of the great involvement of nations is that what is needed is more investment in those countries so that people can have opportunities there. What we mustn't overlook is our own opportunity. We can't wait for the government. We have to say, what's my opportunity to invest in Guatemala? And for all of those who are listening to this and who I know uh, many of them are already involved with, with Guatemala and with Guatemala Habitat, to think about the long-term investment, A, they can advocate with their senators and congressmen to help uh, promote investment in Guatemala. They can bring their hearts for Guatemala back here and share them with those people. Two, they can personally invest in the building of one of these houses. And three, they can think in terms of payoff later, not only a, a life gift from a donor, but with every house I have ever built, um, whether it's in the States, whether it's in Guatemala or in Africa, or many of the places, Cambodia, that I've had the opportunity to build, the, the idea is always that it's wonderful for mama or mama and papa, whatever the, the adult uh, part of the population of the family is, but it's for the children. Right. And we're looking in those little kids' lives, and, and every one of us always believes this could be the child into whose brain God has placed the ultimate secret for the cure of all kinds of cancer or other issues in our world. This child. So we're investing in the children, and we never know. So we have to look at the. Um, revolving fund on a grander scale and we have to look at it as revolving yes but we don't necessarily have a date we don't have a monthly date when money will be put in we don't necessarily have this when it will be put in but what when that child becomes all that he or she can become and increases the ability of this country to move forward you need a certain base of things that many people don't have and habitat gives right. that to people well, every person who's listening to that to this knows that tune, that we all sing it, that, you know, this is how we reinvest. And we have to, as I said, see revolving fun in terms of where we started with eternity, with economics of the Bible and not economics of daily life. No CPA understands how Habitat works, no, <laughs> no matter how qualified they are. They don't understand it because it's not, it doesn't make sense to them. We don't recover every penny, and yet they don't see what becomes of what we do. If we bring it back to like today, you know, that's what hybrid houses are, are doing. It takes it back to something that, that these locals and these campesinos 
can again obtain uh, where it was, you know, with the traditional habitat home, it's helping a certain class of people. That's not to say that they don't need it. It is a hand up and, you know, people are paying those loans. But when you think of in the countryside, people who are, even for what our conception uh, of what people who have not been to, you know, the, the developing world, their conception of poverty, it's amazing that they're, they're getting by. And when we say they're getting by, their children suffer from malnutrition. There are, the death rate for infants uh, is, you know, extremely high. The mortality rate for adults, the lifespan is much lower. It's a hard, hard life. And so, you know, to go back to that point where you can, again, have a home built that makes things, it doesn't mitigate all the things outside of the home, but inside the home to have a, a safe place to be is incalculable. The benefits that it gives, like we were saying with, you know, the, the parents, but, you know, the children that, you know, they're growing up in a situation where they don't have to suffer these literal sicknesses that, you know, sap their life before it even begins. Right. Well, you know, when we think about the sweat equity, we often don't think how hard they're working aside from their daily work to keep their lives going. But, you know, the last uh, house that I built in Guatemala, I hope it isn't the last house I ever will build in Guatemala, but it was a, a hybrid house. And um, we were there with the family. And as very often happens, one and sometimes more of the guys working are members of that family. And they're in there pitching with those masons, mixing concrete, you know, uh, doing everything that it, it takes. Some of them are skilled and some of them have less skills, but they're in there working uh, their backsides off. And for that period of time, they're not getting paid. Their, their, their benefit is that they're getting their family a house. And um, on this particular house, there was an older brother and there was an uncle working with the crew. And the two little boys in that house got very excited and they, the rocks were way down uh, below the house on the lot and on the road. And a couple of us were down there filling the buckets. And the little boys would run down, grab the buckets, haul them back up and dump them into the concrete mix and come running back and toss the bu buckets down to us. They were using the little half buckets because that's all, all they could carry. Yeah. But when we finished getting all those rocks up there, I went up there and this is on my, on my Guatemala cell phone. Unfortunately, it's too big for me to be able to send it to anybody. But I have a little video of them sitting there playing the drums on their, on their buckets celebration and i play it all the time to remember the joy of what was happening that day and how much we accomplished that day and that a few weeks later they moved into their house and i've been there and visited them and seen them in their home and um, so you know there's the joy of that so i hope that motivates more people to go when things open up and they can go again and i hope the experience they have will motivate them to advocate for national uh, uh, investment in the, that country, but also to invest themselves uh, with their finances to help build more of these homes so that Guatemala Habitat uh, directors and such can, can see the value of it. Uh, and that is, that is beautiful. I think we have now, like, we've been talking for 30 minutes already. So basically, 
do you have any last thoughts to, to, to wrap things up or? Just that um, Millard Fuller said once that we could feed the entire world and we could house the entire world. The resources exist to do that. What we're lacking is the will and that we have to get those friends of ours who do have that will to continue to do it and to continue to encourage other people so that they will also have the will to do it. Thank you very much. Sure, thank you. Glad that's gonna be great. Like obviously the last time we talked, we all see what the, the need is here. So I hope that we get people excited about hybrid homes. Uh, they're up to 18 now, did I tell you that? No, I'm, I'm delighted. You knew how the original extreme poverty program was, how long it took to become, you know, now they're, you know, doing like 10,000 something, some large right. number of, of thousands of stoves a year. So, you know, 18 in, in three years with one of those years being a pandemic, I think the momentum is getting to the point where it's really going to be, it's just going to be part of that program. There was a time when there were 18 habitat houses, period, in Guatemala. And they were all in Huehuetenango, and there was no international, I mean, no, no national board or any of that. Um, you have to start somewhere. So if uh, we have another opportunity and want me, want me to participate, I'll be happy to do it. Awesome, guys. Okay, take care and keep up the great work. So that'll be it for this week, gang. That was our chat with Clive. He is obviously always a wonderful person to talk to. He is much more eloquent than I am and puts things in a way that I obviously just can't. I hope he has inspired you to help contribute to the Hybrid House program and to help this program grow. Next week, we'll be talking to one of our compañeros from Mexico, Habitat Mexico, Roman. So that'll be interesting to see some of the things that we have in common with them. But I hope you enjoyed the podcast this week, and we'll be seeing you guys soon. Construyendo esperanza Habitar